Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the top 100 films, according to Box Office Mojo, in all-time worldwide gross in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? So, yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Uh, you know, this is a list completely arbitrary uh, compared to the statistics that I keep uh, for myself. I don't really deal with box office gross at all, and except in Fantasy Movie League, which uh, I haven't really brought into the podcast as of yet. I really don't feel super qualified to talk about it. Uh, you know, I do okay on it, at it, but I'm not uh, amazing by any means. But this is definitely something that I can talk about. I've seen all 100 films that are on this list. And so I at least have something to say about each of them. We'll see if there's a trend in rating to see, you know, are better films making more money? Probably not. I think, uh, you know, for the most part, I think the entire list will be average, above average when you factor them all in. But there are definitely some less than stellar films on this list just kind of scrolling through it and i I haven't i didn't read through the list uh you know so i I will be somewhat surprised i'll see them before i even talk about them but i'll I'll be somewhat surprised by what what's coming up uh in the same way that you might be uh this is a list that i found on letterboxd uh made by a crew member matthew buchanan uh, and it is one of the six lists that uh, they track your progress for on your lifetime statistics. Uh, this is the only list on that chart that I have completed entirely. And so I thought it would be a pretty good uh, good metric. Uh, just to And just to see. Uh, it's a lot of movies. I don't know how long it's going to take me to talk about each of them. Uh, or what I'm even going to say. But... So so I might, if we're getting long enough, I might just stop at like 75 or 50 and break this up into, or 66 or something, and break this up into one or two more pieces and go from there. So without any further ado, let's uh, jump into number 100, shall we? Number 100, a film released in 2014. It is an animated film directed by Don Hall and Chris Williams, starring the voice talents of Scott Adsit, Ryan Potter, Daniel Henney, T.J. Miller, Jamie Chung, Damon Wayans Jr., Genesis Rodriguez, James Cromwell, Alan Tudyk, Maya Rudolph, among many others. Uh, this is a film that I gave an 83 to uh, and watched opening weekend when it came out and that is big hero six big hero six is number 100 in all-time box office gross Uh, and then that's worldwide not domestic so uh, yeah so big hero six i i went i saw it in theaters uh with with roommates at the time and i was uh I, I don't know. I wasn't, like, super looking forward to it. Uh, I knew it was a Disney movie. I like Disney. I prefer musical Disney for the most part. But, uh, you know, I like I like Disney. Disney's good. Uh, Zootopia is good. Doesn't need to be a musical. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph, good. Doesn't need to be a musical. But my biggest fear for Big Hero 6 was that Baymax, the, the, the inflatable robot thing, I felt like that was going to be like a one one note thing that really was going to get under my skin. Uh, kind of in the way that Olaf gets under your skin in Frozen or any any kind of side character that 
really only has one dimension. And thankfully, thankfully, the story is crafted well enough to, to work around that kind of uh, weight on it. And I, I like Baymax. Baymax is cool. I, I like the characters, and I, I think their abilities are fine. I, you know, they're, it's just like, just like, like a lot of comic book based movies. Uh, it, it doesn't, the characters, they get their powers and it's like, oh, we're just five kids who work in this college laboratory alone, unsupervised. And, oh, look, the things we've been working on can be superpowers because I don't know. I, if I were in that sort of position where I was creating things, the first thing I would think of is, could this be used as a superpower? Like, hmm, magnetic thing that like I can control with my hands? Like, superpower. Instantly. It's a superpower. 100%. Superpower. 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 Uh, so, that, that side of it always bothers me. I, I think that it's tough to do those sort of origins well it's you know like iron man does it fantastically which is probably a movie we'll see later on this list i'm guessing but i think that you know the origin for iron man you know trapped in a cave movie version anyway trapped in a cave uh forced to build uh, weapons for enemies of the state creates a suit of armor because he's a fucking genius and blows shit up you know like that's I, I can conceive of that that makes sense in my head but for like teenagers and young adults to just kind of like flip a switch and turn the things that they've been working on into superpowers in an instant seems seems hokey in a sense my favorite of those characters is uh, honey lemon <laughs> i think I loved Honey Lemon's like color powers. I, to be honest, I don't remember precisely how they worked, but I know that like watching it, those she she had the powers that I was most excited by. I think everybody else kind of just had generic superhero powers that I'd seen before, and I, I felt like hers were at least somewhat more original. And uh, Genesis Rodriguez does does a good job voicing her. Uh, it's a uh, it's a sad movie. At times, you know, the, the main character, Hero, Hero, really, you know, his his brother dies, like, first five, ten minutes of the movie, uh, leaving behind Baymax, who is insanely advanced, which is interesting, because you, you never really get a true sense of, like, where and what, what relation the time of this world is to present day. Clearly, it's in a fictional place, you know, uh, San Francisco, Tokyo, San Francisco. And it's not our Earth in that sense, but, it, you know, at times it's like, oh, this could just be present day. But then you've got a Baymax and all these weird powers, and it's like, oh, well, we don't have these things. Uh. I liked Hero's mom. I thought she was really fun, a, a nice side character. Uh, I don't, I don't remember a lot. Um, my synopsis of the film on my spreadsheet is: six friends join together to save their city from a masked villain. That's about as comic booky as you can get, really. Uh, I watched it November sixth in twenty fourteen. Like I said, I gave it an eighty three, which I think is good. I, I think. I mean, I think it's great. I, I, I really enjoyed the movie, but it, and it won best uh, animated feature that year. Although I would have given that award to the Lego movie, which wasn't even nominated. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Song of the Sea, or uh, When Marnie Was There, I think are all better animated films from the same year. So I like. I liked Big Hero 6 quite a bit, but I don't think it's amazing. And I think that over time, it, it since even already, it feels like a, a very uh, insignificant best animated feature winner. Big Hero 6, number 100. 
Number 99 is another animated film. Uh, This one directed by Carlos Saldana uh, from 2006. Uh, It's actually a sequel. Uh, It stars the voice talents of Ray Romano, John Leguizamo, Dennis Leary, Queen Latifah, Sean William Scott, Josh Peck, Jay Leno, Will Arnett, Chris Wedge, Peter Ackerman, Caitlin Rose Anderson, uh, and Stephen Root, among others. This is the film Ice Age 2, The Meltdown. Uh, Ice Age 2, The Meltdown is a film I've seen four times, actually, uh, since it came out in 2006. Uh, You know, it came out before I was completely interested in movies and at a time where I was rewatching a lot of things, always, constantly, in fact. But at the same time, it's... It's fine. You know, the Ice Age series has just been on a slide uh, since the first one. I thought the first one was pretty good. I think I think this one's, like, fine. I think it's... I gave it a 61. So, not fantastic. Not great. Not even really good. Just good. You know, I like it. It's okay. It's fine. I, it's fine. I watched it four times. So, uh, you know, I didn't hate it. Uh, the most recent time being uh, May 6th, 2012. That seems so recent to me. Although I know it's not. I wonder if I watched that in preparation for whatever number Ice Age movie came out around that time. Um, yeah, so Ice Age of the Meltdown. My synopsis of it is when the ice starts melting, the group must find a way to survive the flood. I'm trying to remember... They all kind of blend together in my head. Uh, so the first one, the night an ice age happens, and no one thinks it could. And then the second one, it's all thawing, so it's the opposite of an ice age. And I can't remember like uh, like all these scenes just are like it's the same plot in every movie. Um, I don't know. I, I can't really pick out a scene from this movie that I can say for sure wasn't in either the first or third one. Uh, I don't think I've seen the fourth one, the one that came out last year. Um, but I, I've seen all the others. I, I I like the voice cast. I I like Ray Romano. I it's a shame you know I used to watch uh, Everybody Loves Raymond frequently when I was younger, but. He hasn't really ever surpassed uh, Manny, the mammoth. And the scratch shorts, I, I generally find amusing. They kind of take you back to kind of a Chippendale uh, age, which, or I loved Chippendale when I was younger, and so Scrat kind of fits that role now that we really don't have Chippendale anymore. But, yeah, I don't think we need to go any further into Ice Age the Meltdown. Number 99, Ice Age the Meltdown. Keeping up our trend in number 98 is another animated film. Uh, This one is from 2011. It is also a sequel. Directed by Jennifer Yeh. Yeh? Yeh? There's an H. Uh, This is uh, Kung Fu Panda 2. Featuring the voice talents of Jack Black, Angelina Jolie, Dustin Hoffman, Gary Oldman, Jackie Chan, Seth Rogen, Lucy Liu, David Cross, James Hong, Michelle Yeoh, Danny McBride, Dennis Haysbert, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Victor Garber, Mike Bell, Jason Birch, and among others. <laughs> a lot of good, a lot of big voices in this. Uh, yeah, Kung Fu Panda 2. The first one was great, and I, I think the second one's great. I... You know, there's just something about, you know, Jack Black is a great voice actor, and there's this really solid cast around him. And I think that this is a, it's in, it's cool to see this, this movie's fun, and the sort of tone that it sets is very much uh, as you would expect it to be. You know, when you, when you think of Kung Fu Panda, it makes no sense. It, it's silly. It's it, ridiculous. But, uh, and, and that's the movie. 
You know, they play completely into that expectation and exploit you perfectly, I think. I, I think they do such a great job of uh, undermining your expectation in, in, in a very intelligent way. Uh, like I said, this came out in 2011. I didn't see it until December of 2012. And I gave it an 82. So one point less than Big Hero 6. I think I've probably, I probably already sound like I, I liked this one more. But I think that the biggest reason this is rated lower than Big Hero 6 is that all the Kung Fu Panda movies are kind of the same. They have the same general plot. They have the same general uh sequence uh poe is kind of lucks into the solution and then can do things that make no sense and as i I get that like that's the whole premise of the movie like there's this thing this panda and it's doing kung fu you can make of that what you will my synopsis is a new type of weapon is created and threatens the safety of China. So the 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 antagonist, the the villain in this movie is that uh, is is there's this weapon that can stop kung fu, which is equally ridiculous as a panda doing kung fu. So it makes sense, like it, it fits in this world in this movie that it would be that way. And so it, it's just kind of like nonsensical fun. And at times it's a little smart, smarter than you give it credit than you might give it credit for. And so I think it's it's kind of great. It's kind of great, kind of, kind of. Eighty two, Kung Fu Panda two. Ninety eight. First live action film number ninety seven on the list. Uh, this is a two thousand and thirteen film. Directed by Zack Snyder, which should give it away pretty quickly. Starring the talents of Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Michael Shannon, Diane Lane, Russell Crowe, Kevin Costner, Christopher Maloney, Lawrence Fishburne, and Anchi Trua. Trow. Anchi Trow. The German actress that plays like Michael Shannon's second in command. Anyway, uh, this is Man of Steel. Yes, Man of Steel. Uh, I've seen it twice. I saw it, I think, the first year, it came, the year it came out. Not in theaters, though. And then I wa- rewatched it last year before Batman v Superman. And uh, my synopsis is, A Boy from Another World is the Only Hope for Earth. It's a Superman movie. It's an origin story. And it's Zack Snyder. It, it it fails on almost every level. I think when I first watched it, I had given it like a two and a half stars, so somewhere in the fifties. And upon rewatching it last year, I dropped its score down to thirty. I it's just it's egregiously bad, and I I think that despite the fact that it made so much money, giving Snyder the green light to do anything else. After like ninety percent of the movies that he's made is is absurd and ridiculous. I am not a fan of his at all, and I I think he should really just stop, stop, stop. His movies look really nice, and I think he should just be like a cinematographer or something. I don't know. He he can't direct. He can't make a story and and give us a good story and that's what you have to do as a director you have to get good performances from your actors you have to pull the emo- pull the emotional depths of your screenplay you need to cre- craft and structure a film in such a way that it resonates and that it pops off of the screen and Outside of the visuals, he can't fucking do that. You know, time and time and time again, he has failed to deliver on these huge, huge properties. Uh, you know, like, Batman v Superman is just the most recent one. Yeah, like, how bad is Justice League Part 1 going to be? 
I, I hope it's fine. I really want it to do well, but I, as long as Snyder's name's attached to these things in an active capacity, I don't have any hope that it will. So, Man of Steel. <laughs> Fucking A. Fucking A. Uh, number 96. Uh, this is this might be the film on this list that I watched most recently that isn't a new release, if you can follow that. Uh, this is a 1999 film uh, starring Bruce Willis, Tony Collette, Olivia Williams, Haley Joel Osment, Donnie Wahlberg, Glenn Fitzgerald, among others. It is directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And that is The Sixth Sense. Uh, you know, I watched this for the first time last July. Uh, you know, I I missed it when it came out. I wasn't, really, didn't really care. Didn't really know about it until it was too late. And then, you know, I see dead people. I, I knew. Like, I went into this movie knowing the twist. Because I don't know that anyone doesn't know the twist at this point. And... I found it to be fine. Uh, I wasn't wowed by it. I I don't think not I don't think not knowing the twist would have made it great for me. Uh, you know, it's got an average rating of three point nine on 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 Letterboxd, which is really really high. Uh, and I just I didn't see that it. it I don't know if it's just aged poorly, uh, but I, I, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I think as much as I think M. Night Shyamalan is a decent director, and I think that he has a, some level of pedigree that shows off in his movies i liked split i thought split was a good movie i like unbreakable but uh and i like signs i think signs is great but the sixth sense i you know i don't like Haley joel osmond i i really don't and i don't know i Movies that like hinge on a big twist, I think, frequently suffer from it. You know, you don't even have to know what the twist is or that there is one because in a, even in a movie like Split, which doesn't really have a huge twist in it, to be fair. I mean, I mean the twist is significant at the end, but it doesn't really it's not it's nothing to the level of I see dead people. And the problem is that M. Night Shyamalan's name is so associated with twist endings at this point that any movie he makes is going to have that baggage on it. And so a movie like The Sixth Sense, while even when it while even, you know, when it came out, it wasn't it didn't have that baggage necessarily. The problem is that because the twist is so integral to the film when you go into it not knowing the twist it really weakens the earlier parts of the film while you're seeing them and maybe on a rewatch it can enhance the things you've seen the first time through everything up until that twist is like okay I see what you, I, I get it I, I know what this is I see where it's going I understand this movie and simply turning all of that on its head is not inherent of like good filmmaking. You you can you can it, it can, I mean it can be part of a good film. Like there are plenty of great great films with huge twists at the end. Uh, you know the Usual Suspects comes to mind, but that doesn't make. But like the Usual Suspects works on such a fundamental level without the twist. The twist is more of the the cherry on top, as it were. And I think the sixth sense, the the twist is the cake. It's the whole fucking cake. And the cake is okay <laughs> uh, with, without 
when it otherwise. And so it was hard for me when I watched it to really remove myself from the twist, you know, even like I, I knew the twist. I didn't really know what any of the other movie was about. And I just think that it kind of falls short in a lot of respects because of that. Six cents. Number 96. Uh, number 95. Speaking of twist endings, this is a 2014 film starring Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, Casey Affleck, Mackenzie Foy, Matt Damon, Ellen Burstyn, John Lithgow, Wes Bentley, Topher Grace, David Oyelowo, uh, uh, among others. Uh, this is uh, a film directed by Christopher Nolan, and that is Interstellar. Interstellar ranks at number 95. Interstellar, uh, it's no, no small fact that I am a huge Nolan aficionado. I, I've liked to loved to adored all of the films he's ever made and while interstellar is one of the more flawed of those films i still think it's pretty great you know the the biggest boon to nolan's films in my opinion are a couple of things actually they, they kind of all stem, just from stemming from his influence on the films themselves, are the performances he gets out of his out of his actors. I think that he is one of the best working directors right now. That can really at at pulling great performances from his from his actors. You know, McConaughey, Chastain, Hathaway. Michael Caine, Casey Affleck, they're all doing a lot of great work in this movie. And I think part of the reason that that is the case is because Nolan doesn't really give them a ton as far as written to 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 work from. I think a lot of it is the actors sort of sort of learning the characters, trying to understand the characters on their own, and molding them one way or the other as they see fit. And, you know, that's kind of a knock against the writing, uh, which all, I believe, all of Nolan's films are written in some capacity by Nolan himself and his brother Jonathan, although I'm, I'm not 100% certain about that. I'm not I, insomnia is the one that I think might not have been written by them. Either way, he he combines these great performances then with incredibly profound premises premises. So you know he takes this you know dying crops, famine, uh, a, a dry earth, an interstellar, and just runs with it in a direction that to us now having seen interstellar being aware that it's out there is so inherently natural i think that we look at a movie like interstellar and like well yeah if if shit goes this wrong that's what's going to happen we're or like we're going to need to figure out like where to go what do we have to do but i think before interstellar came out I don't think that this was a very natural progression in most people's minds. I think that, and even now, so many of us are thinking, like, we look at climate change issues and environment problems, and we think, like, what can we do to fix this? How can we stop shit from catching on fire and melting and uh, all the other problems that we have? And very very few of us are saying like what's next where can we go without where we don't have these problems because one it it feels like it's so far outside of our reach it doesn't feel like we're anywhere near the 
possibility of sending a manned, sending like a manned spacecraft into a wormhole to see if there's fucking planets that we can live on outside of it. We we don't. Not only do we not have that technolo- technological advancement at this stage, but we also don't have that mindset. We're not thinking that at all. And fucking Nolan and his brother walk in and say, well, what if we did? What if that was the only option? And then not only does, like, not only is that an interesting and compelling plot and premise but then he also creates this incredibly dense and dynamic story to go along with that premise and when it's backed by these very strong character performances it's it's not difficult to see why this movie would make so much money and why we all kind of in some way uh, worship that even if even if we don't all agree that Nolan is a great director, even if some of us feel that he does have a few bad movies and don't really appreciate the way he makes films and things like that, I think it's very difficult to deny that he's doing something and he's putting out movies that are so grand in scope, so audacious, so big that it's it's a very commendable trait. Uh, you know, you look at the Marvel films that get churned out twice, three times a year now. They're not shooting for the moon with those. They're, for the most part, playing them very, very safe. And they're doing incredibly well, you know, in spite of it. But at least Nolan is, like, trying and, and continuously trying to push boundaries, trying to make films that touch on subjects and topics and plots that would be incredibly different from what we've seen to this point. And I think that that's fantastic. So, Interstellar, number 95. Speaking of Marvel, number 94 is a Marvel film. And uh, it is one that came out last year. So, from 2016, directed by Scott Derrickson, it is Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, Tilda Swinton, Mads Mikkelsen, and Michael Stolberg, and Benjamin Bratt, among others. Doctor Strange. Whew. Oh, I also, uh, I gave Interstellar an 85. I don't think I mentioned that. Doctor Strange. Uh, I watched it opening weekend. I don't know if it was opening day last November. Um, but uh, I gave it a 76. So I think it's pretty good. And it does a lot of innovative things. And it plays with the Marvel formula enough to give it some personality but you know tying to nolan it feels like uh inception on steroids at times and i don't say that necessarily as a compliment i think that the effect is cool and i think the special effects are interesting but i don't think that it's like they're just taking an existing a suite of special effects and sprinkling like I don't know something on top of it it's like they're putting frosting on this cake that Nolan already made as far as special effects go and I mean at least at least they're not like adding at least they're basing this uh, they're taking they're pulling in influences from outside of the existing Marvel films so they're they're kind of sp- spreading their wings a little bit and I don't know. I this was one of the films that I was able to really avoid uh previews for and trailers for and I think it was a huge help for me. I think if I'd seen the trailers of this movie before I'd gone to see it, it would have been even lower rated than it is already. 
And that's not good, man. Like, uh, one, trailers shouldn't spoil movies and, and give away huge moments from them to start. But two, you shouldn't be able to represent your movie in its entirety in like two minutes of footage. It, it, it's like it's tough I, I think if you can then you haven't made a good enough movie I can I don't know like if you show a two minute clip of Keanu Reeves doing headshots the whole time that's pretty representative of uh, John Wick and so I think John Wick is great, and I think John Wick 2 is even better, but I think that's because John Wick 2 subverts your expectations a little more. And John Wick is just shooting guys in the head. And as great as that does, and as incredibly well as that's executed, the fact that it is all the same note over and over and over and over again hurts it. And that's the same thing with Doctor Strange. He's like, I'm going to use magic. I'm going to use magic. I'm going to use the same type of magic. And I'm going to keep using that same magic. And I'm going to keep using that same magic. Oh, wait. Here, let me have this other problem. Let me solve it with magic. Uh, come on. Uh, you know, like, come on. Uh, it's tough. It, it's really tough because I really like the Marvel films. I'm so excited by the cinematic universe. I think that just the tie-ins and... The, the continuity of it all is very much something that I want. But I I guess, I don't know. I don't need an origin story for every single Marvel character that's ever going to ever show up. We didn't need a, an origin story for Hawkeye, who granted isn't like super powerful, but we didn't need one. You know, I'm perfectly content to find out bits and pieces about Hawkeye through like the three or four movies that he's been in. I don't need an I, I, I appreciate the fact like I get that Doctor Strange of all of the films, of all the characters, kind of does need his origin story because he's introducing magic to the world. But I could have been fine without an Ant Man origin story. I probably would have been fine without many origin stories to come, you know? Like, they've got so many slated out to go. I think that unless you're introducing a new aspect and dimension or or, or uh, through line into these movies, you don't need to start them out with discovering that thing. It can just be that thing. So... I don't think Doctor Strange is guilty of it so much, but I do think that Marvel is guilty of it in general. And say what you will about their template and the fact that all their movies are quote-unquote the same, which for the most part they are. Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Ant-Man. Fucking works. Like, <laughs> I still think, I think Iron Man is the best Marvel film to date. And... Every other film is just trying to recapture that. Iron Man, you know, whether or not they knew just how big this thing was going to be at that time, Iron Man wasn't really setting up films the same way that, film that like, Civil War and Doctor Strange are setting up films. You know, Doctor Strange is setting up the Marvel Cinematic Universe for magic. Civil War is setting up the Marvel Cinematic Universe for countless like black panther spider-man uh, whatever all of these things but iron man was just like i'm setting the world up from the marvel universe but i'm not doing it in such but it wasn't doing it in such a way that it was like all right remember see these like dozen characters that i'm going to casually reference every like five minutes they're all going to be become household names in like five years no 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 no, no. it's just saying this is the kind of movie we want to make. Can it be successful? And it and it was. But now they need to say, okay, that worked. We've done it a few times now. We have to figure out a new way to do this. A new way to approach this. Because 
there was no template when Iron Man came out. And Iron Man did fucking great. Why can't we move away from that and, and, and just test the waters? Like, Guardians of the Galaxy, for the most part, was, you know, innovative. And it was different from all the other Marvel films we'd seen before that. But at its core, it was very similar to the structure and template that we'd seen all along. And it shouldn't be. It takes place in space. Doctor Strange shouldn't be. It m- deals with magic. Why are these things always the same? I don't know. Doctor Strange, number 94. I think I was a little ambitious uh, in like breaking this up into just two or three or four parts. I'm probably going to do ten parts. <laughs> it's just so long. Uh, it's tough. I, I'm, what, this, we're 40 minutes in, and I'm. You know, there's still four. I guess three movies. To, I get 100 to 91. So there's three movies left. So we'll see. We'll see where we're at. Uh, number 93, I think, is the first film that I wouldn't call a blockbuster. I guess Sixth Sense really wouldn't be a blockbuster necessarily. In, in and of itself, but uh, 93 is definitely not a blockbuster by my recollection. But it did come out in 1994, so I wasn't super aware of it. Uh, it is the n- best picture winner from 1994. Oh, Doctor Strange got a 76. Sorry. I, that's what I gave it a 76. Uh, this is the best picture of 1994. It is directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Mikelty Williamson, Sally Field, and Haley Joel Osment, among others. So, another Haley Joel Osment film already. And that is Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah, this is a movie I've seen three times, by my recollection. The most recent time being in 2009. And I think it's good. <laughs> I I think it's good. Mm. I I'm underwhelmed. I think a lot of people put this on such a high of a pedestal that I just kind of shake my head. In a sense, I think it's fine. I'm I'm not wowed by it i'm not thrilled by it i think that it does a thing and it does that thing well and i think tom hanks is really great in in the role title role but for the most part i just it's so sappy and it's so like hallmark movie you know i i just and i have a pro i have a problem with that i i i want it to be daring but it's two and a half hours of life is like a box of chocolates and i i I, like i said i think it's pretty good but i don't think that it it warrants one being best picture definitely not two the inordinate amount of praise that is heaped on it uh or, or three, to just to, to have lasted this long in the zeitgeist of film. When you've got films that came out that same year, like, like Chungking Express, uh, Swimming with Sharks, Little Women, Leon the Professional, Spanking the Monkey, Ed Wood, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, The Lion King. Like, all those films are better than Forrest Gump, in my opinion. And many of them, not all of them, but a lot of the ones I just named, I think should have lasted far longer than Forrest Gump did. And some of them have. So The Lion King has definitely survived the test of time. Pulp Fiction has survived the test of time. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, which I think is slightly better than Forrest Gump, has also survived the test of time. But But, you know, the others haven't 
you've got Nobody's Fool. No one talks about that. Uh, you've got uh, Chunking Express. No one talks about that. You've got The Ref, Swimming with Sharks, Little Women. No one brings these movies up anymore. Spanking the Monkey. Ed Wood, maybe, if you're talking to a, cin- uh, like a cinephile or a Tim Burton aficionado. A quiz show, barely brought up, ever. It's there, there's, it's a shame because, like, if you want to bring up Forrest Gump and talk about how great Tom Hanks was in it, all by by be by by all means, please, I I I'll field that conversation any day. Best movie of 1994? Hell no. Most memorable movie of 1994? Of course not. My so my summary on my spreadsheet is. The title character goes through many life experiences. It's a little passive-aggressive, I guess. I gave it a 75, so it's like three-quarters of perfect. And that last quarter is like, it's too sappy, it's too long, and it just... Once once you figure out what the movie and like the direction the movie's taking with like Forrest Gump, the character simply just doing whatever the fuck he wants and being good at it because he's Forrest Gump and life just kind of working out for him in that sense, it just becomes rudimentary and it becomes so unexciting. I think, I think that's my biggest issue. It's unexciting. It's an unexciting movie. It's unremarkable. That's the problem that I have with it. Still a good movie. Still a good movie. Forrest Gump made enough money to be 93rd all time. Number 92. Uh, this is the fourth film in, this, in its series. It is a 2015 film directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Starring Tom Cruise, Jeremy Renner, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, Ving Rhames, Sean Harris, and uh, others. Tom Hollander, Alec Baldwin, and others. And that's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Let me see where I have it at. Or... Oh no, this is the fifth film. I'm sorry. Uh, Ghost Protocol was number four. Rogue Nation is number five. Uh, I watched this when it came out, actually. We went to the theater two years ago uh, to see it in, in, as it came out. My roommate, at, my then roommate at the time, was, was a huge fan of Ghost Protocol, which I thought was fine. I, I, didn't, I wasn't over the moon about it as much as he was. So I wasn't super excited for this, but I went because... It got really great reviews, and I liked it. I thought it was decent. I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good Mission Impossible movie. Uh, it's not as good as the first one. I don't think any of them are really, but I think it's quite solid. It's quite strong. Uh, my summary is the IMF face off against an underground group called the Syndicate. Very generic. It feels like they're running out of ideas. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's just like, here, let's create this new amorphous body of agents and have them be up against the IMF or have the IMF be against itself. And that's the only two plots that the movies have. And I think that the entire series rests on the laurels of Tom Cruise. And he's shown time and time again that he is worthy. Uh... So, I, I don't, I'm not 100% aware of whether or not there'll be a sixth film. I kind of think there will be, given that the fifth one is one of the top 100 grossing films of all time. Uh, not adjusted for inflation, however. And, I don't know, I, I like it. I don't remember a lot about this movie. Like, this is kind of like... Uh, just just like the Ice Age movies, the, doc, the Mission Impossibles kind of all run together for me. 
unless except you know like parts of them stick out like philip seymour hoffman in the third film uh or just the ridiculous amount of like face changing moments in the second film but the first john voight in the first film and uh oh i can't think of the female ah i don't remember her name oh i'm never gonna i'm not gonna forgive myself This is the first one. Uh, oh. I didn't... Wait. Who is this? Emmanuel Beert. That's not who I was thinking of. Kristen Scott Thomas is who I was thinking of. I think Emmanuel Beert is Tom Cruise's love interest. I don't know. It's been a, it's, it's been a while. But Rogue Nation... I don't think it like reinvented the wheel or anything. I like Rebecca Ferguson. I thought she was good in this. But it just kind of, you know, did the Mission Impossible thing well. And turns out that's a pretty good movie in and of itself. So I I was I was pleased. I was I was very happy. I, I like I said, I gave it a or I, I guess I didn't say. I gave it a 76. So, you know, it's on par with just slightly above the par that's set by uh, Forrest Gump. And uh, everybody loves Forrest Gump, so Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, number 92. Number 91. This is going to be the last one. I'm going to have to do this in 10, 10 movie chunks. Number 91 is a film from 2012, directed by Gary Ross, starring Jennifer Lawrence, John Hutcherson, no, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, Woody Harrelson, Elizabeth Banks, Lenny Kravitz, Stanley Tucci, Donald Sutherland, Wes Bentley, Toby Jones, among others. Mm, yeah. The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. The YA film that has doomed us all to have to sit through uh, all the other ones that came after it. <laughs> Although, I guess Twilight kind of gets that honor. But Twilight's bad and Hunger Games is good. So, let's see here. Yeah, so the first Hunger Games came out in 2012. And I, I thought it was great. I, I loved it. I thought, you know, at the time, I had not seen Battle Royale. And I did later watch Battle Royale. And I think Hunger Games is better. I think it's more intriguing. I've read the first book of the Hunger Games series. And as interesting as it is to read the book and see everything through Katniss's eyes, the movie, I think, is far superior because you get to see what's going on in the Capitol. You get to see Hamish working things with other people. You get to go away from Katniss and really explore the world that she's living in in a way that you couldn't looking through Katniss's eyes you know as much as her eyes give her access to throughout the series particularly in the first book she has a very limited scope of the world and for the film being able to go far beyond that scope is a huge credit that it sometimes uh takes for granted but Additionally, uh, it gives us a it gave us a great strong female role model in Katniss, who is uh, not perfect, for sure, but definitely uh, you know a worthy person to look up to. I think so, anyway. It also gave us Josh Hutcherson, who I don't like, and I, I don't like Peta. I hate the name PETA. I think PETA sucks. But it all did. But then again, it gave us Woody Harrelson and Elizabeth Banks and Stanley Tucci and Lenny Kravitz, who are all fantastic in this in these movies, for as long as they're able to survive them. And I I think the games themselves are the most exciting thing about the movies. Which, you know, the second half of this movie is basically all the games. And they're very tense. I, I think they're very exciting. I've seen the movie twice. I watched it 
before Catching Fire. No, I didn't. I watched it once in theaters, and then I watched it again in college, later that year in college, because I, I read the book for a class I was taking. And I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really enjoyable. I think it's just a really enjoyable, fun movie. My synopsis of it is a girl volunteers herself to take her younger sister's place in a fight to the death, which doesn't really encapsulate the movie so much, but we, you know, this first movie doesn't really get into all the political intrigue, doesn't really give you, you know, Donald Sutherland's side of the story that much. And at the end of the day, it really is kind of like just fight to the death and they managed to sort of subvert that expectation a bit at the end. Uh, I gave this an 83. I I think it's great. I, I think it's an iconic film. And it is definitely still in the, quote, zeitgeist, unlike some things. You know, we're trying to forget about Twilight as much as we can. But I think keeping the Hunger Games in mind is would benefit us because the Hunger Games shows that you know Harry Potter wasn't just a one-hit wonder in the sense that like making that a movie worked. Um, you know, because then Twilight, I. You know, I don't, you know, between 2001 and like, I think Twilight came out in 2009. I don't remember how many YA books were turned into movies in that time period. But the fact that I can't think of any offhand, probably not a good sign. But then The Hunger Games came out and it was incredibly well received. The first one made a bajillion dollars to be 91st of all time. And I think that we shouldn't take that for granted. We we should, you know, I, I think it hasn't aged that well for some people, which is a shame. I, I think it's still very good. But it, it's definitely a movie that kind of, it's kind of been forgotten like the whole series it's been like a year and a half since like the last movie came out and we've all kind of forgotten about them already which is a shame because i think the first two are really good and i think the second two should not have been split up into i think the third book should not have been split up into two movies and that's kind of the issue we the makers of it got so greedy and sucks but first film pretty good Great even, 83, you know, one of my, one a movie that I liked a lot, one of the few movies that I, I really wanted to watch a second time, and did so with. So, that's The Hunger Games, number 91, out of the box office mojo, all time. Uh, top 100 worldwide box office. It's the fucking worst list title ever. It's an easy one. Box office mojo's all time top 100 films by worldwide gross. That's so long. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to stop it right there. I, this is going to take me a lot longer than I thought it was. But I will get through it as time passes. And, you know, this list is going to be updating uh, consistently. So if that happens, and let's say whatever film is rated 90 right now is rated 91, when I record the next episode, I then will, I'll, I guess I'll mention that, I guess, and I'll include that. So it'll be like 91 through 89 and whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate everyone who listens. If you want to find more out about the podcast, about the Circle of Film Awards that are still being adjusted uh, as the year goes on, about the scavenger hunts that I do every month based on letterboxed users and their tasks that they submit, 
You can find all of that information and much more at circleoffilm.com. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers you would like to send me, you can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.